Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, guys. Today we are going to explore the future of marketing teams because we don't know what kind of future can be because of AI. That was simple to ignore, hard today, impossible tomorrow. And uh, it's interesting to know how to hire the right people, how to manage them and how to get results. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Marty Rintain. How are you? <laughs> good, good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, big pleasure, big pleasure. Marty, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and about your second name, German second name, how to pronounce in the right way. <laughs> yeah, it's Marty Ringline. So like a ring oh, and a line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, two decades of experience. So I'll, I'll try to sum it up really fast. Um, I started as a computer science undergrad, got into design, got into front end uh, engineering back in the early 2000s, which was a pretty rare skill set to be able to do design and to code. Now today it's more commonplace, but that really put me down a path where um, I started my entrepreneurial career back in early 2006, built up a startup that eventually got acquired by Twitter, joined Twitter pretty early pre-IPO, was helping run their uh, design and research team, and then just did a bunch of other innovation-related um, ventures after that. So I went to the White House and the Obama administration as a presidential innovation fellow, had a few other startups, did a bunch of angel investing. Um, some of those other startups got acquired, places like Eventbrite, where I went on to run their global R&D uh, initiative there, uh, and then started uh, converting the angel investing over into venture capital, raised a fund, and then um, more recently have been working with the Fortune 100 to really figure out what the what the future means for them. Whether you know what, what is the next three-letter thing that's going to be super disruptive if it was gpt two years ago and now we're all realizing it you know what are those next three letters that we don't see coming that might even seem silly or laughable but uh, will fundamentally change our core businesses nice nice yeah love your experience uh, love it especially you started in data science so you can feel like fish in water you know with this uh, ai era can you tell uh for someone uh who is going to adapt today because I see many companies pay attention to AI. A few years ago, that was accessible for big companies. Today, everyone can do it. You know, uh, we have API. You can uh, adapt to different tools. So can you tell, if you started from scratch, how to learn AI and adapt fast? Yeah, so I think there's a number of things. Right? If you're starting from, from pure scratch and you're, you're, you're not even that technical, I think the best thing you can do is just play with the tools that are out there. You know, I, I'd say you'll play with the earliest tools. Obviously, there's ChatGPT, but you know, mid-journey, Dolly 2, understand where AI is showing up in all these different areas. Sure, it can write marketing copy for us, but it can generate images for us. Everyone's excited about the potential of what happens when it's integrated into, say, like Microsoft Project products and it's, and it's generating slide decks and putting together graphs and, you know, my it might even start doing uh, spreadsheet work for us. Um, but, you know, where else does it show up? Does it show up in image generation? We see Adobe doing a lot of uh, cool stuff with their newest product releases. Uh, you know, will this be a convergence where generative AI will show up in the future versions of the metaverse? You know, what will we see from Apple in June at the WWDC conference? Uh, will we see, 
you know, boundless, endless worlds generated on the fly, dynamically, programmatically. Like this could be like really interesting stuff. So, so my, but my biggest thing to everybody when we talk about these new and emerging technologies is there's two conversations to have. There's the one that you just asked, where, um, what do we do right now? It's it's already happened, right? Like Chat GPT came out, caught the world's attention. Everyone got excited. Everyone started wondering, what do we do with it? What can we do with it? All of the possibilities started coming to the forefront. I would say yes, jump into that conversation because you're going to be left behind. But at the same time, I would advocate for everyone to use this as a moment to realize that for a lot of people, they were talking about GPT when it was GPT-1, GPT-2. They were talking about OpenAI when when Elon Musk was putting money into it as just a foundation and Reid Hoffman was getting into it. But we couldn't really understand where it was going to go, what it was going to do. So I would say, hey, this is a learning moment of you know what's the next one? Don't just go all in on AI. This isn't because this one thing I've noticed about people when we talk about innovation is that they use this moment in time and they believe that this is the best. It's never going to get any better than this. Like whatever we have right now is the cream of the crop, right? Like, and, and it makes it so like it's hard for us to imagine a world where that doesn't exist. We saw this with electronic vehicles. We we just for whatever reason believe the cars on the road today were the best cars, and the way they operate and the, the way they're powered is the best way. And so it makes it difficult to have a conversation about what if they're all powered by electricity what if they all self-drive right we get scared about these kind of things so what if there's a world where you know everything isn't powered just by ai what if there's another new thing that we haven't seen or thought of yet that's going to fundamentally change the way we do business so like i, I would say like use the ai conversation as a mechanism to say what else is coming as as you get caught up to speed on this new thing that kind of caught a lot of people by surprise nice nice you know uh I think, you know, AI, it's like when farmers got a first tractor, you know, combine, <laughs> you know, they felt, wow, uh, they don't need to dig, but how they can work if tractor can do this job, then in some time they adapted to drive the tractor, you know, so, uh, and even today we have some holidays uh, to combine the tractors uh, and yeah, that, that's good because technology can help to drive, but, you know, you mentioned uh, about how to use today to play with this playground with chat gpt and i found you know many people uh do it for the sake of having it or overusing for example you know if i generate text uh how to lose weight please write me article how i can lose weight but i can get le- uh, something that thousand others can do it you know like totally the same and uh decree this I don't know how it's called, uh, nonsense, you know, because no value, it's generic. Can you tell how to do it in the correct way? Because you mentioned about Elon Musk, and I watched his tweet, how he played on ChatGPT. He asked detailed question, uh, what he want to know from this tool, uh, pro- sharing a lot of details, and he got this uh, long answer. So can you tell how to find the right way uh, to use this tool? <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I think it, right, it's a tool and it, it's not a displacement. It's not a human replacement. So it's a tool. It's an augmentation of how we do work today. And I think that answer to that question, the hard truth is that it's it's individualized to each individual person and each individual job. Like they've got to go figure out how will this help me do what I do so I can do more of it and I can, and I can do better with everything that I do. And I think that's the ultimate question. When I, when I think back to um, the tools, you know, you could have asked the same question about the emergence of the internet, a powerful tool today, but when, it, when we're first getting exposed to it in the early 90s, there's nothing there that you couldn't have got 
from an encyclopedia that you couldn't have got from talking to an expert, going to a conference, going to a panel. All that information existed. It was just inaccessible, harder to get. It took longer. And this, this internet speeded everything up. So same thing here where I look at like a chief financial officer at any Fortune 500 company. They can do their job without a computer, without a spreadsheet, without a calculator. And it's been done for hundreds of years prior with just paper and pencil, right? And then pure arithmetic. So, but today you wouldn't hire a CFO that didn't use a spreadsheet or a calculator or a computing device. And so in the future, yes, we can do all of these things without AI, absolutely. But why would you? And then would you hire that person that doesn't have that proficiency? And, and this is one where like, I don't actually think we need to be too worried. Because I remember when I was growing up, I'm, I'm older, but um, in high school, they would teach us uh, how to type. And so the words per minute that you could type was a very important skill. And they told us that if you can't type fast, you're not going to be employable by the time you graduate college and go into the real world because the computer is so important. Turns out that once we get that cell phone and we start SMSing our friends, we type so quick and we're so fast and uh, nobody cares about words per minute anymore because we're all really fast because we just, because culture adopted around it. So I think you know, that's, and it, we don't teach kids how to use the internet, right? They know how to use the internet. It, it, it becomes intuitive. And so the same thing, we're not going to really teach kids how to use AI. We're not going to teach them how to be better with it because it'll be the equivalent of like using the internet, using a computer, using um, a typing words per minute. It'll all be inherent. It'll be very quick because it'll just be a natural part of how they do everything, which again, if you go back to the 90s, that would have been a very scary thing. And that's why most of the computer literacy programs, much of the computer um, uh, sort of um, adoption programs were all for older adults that, that didn't grow up with this technology. But any younger adult, any 12-year-old today, in 10 years from now, when they're a 22-year-old entering the workforce, they're not going to have a class on AI. It'll just be how they do things. It's just like we don't have a class on how to type or how to use a computer. Yeah, yeah. By the way, you remind me of my son. You know, I found that I don't need to teach him how to play online games. I no. don't know how he can learn it, but he, he is the best at that. I, he teaches I, you probably. Yeah, yeah. I can only limit his time, you know, to play right. on these games. <laughs> but which, which uh, is what happened in '92 when the internet's first coming mm -hmm. around. I we got America Online. Um, brought America online, but it was, they charged per minute back then. And so what my father would do is he showed me a computer, he showed me the internet, told me what the internet was, and I could search for anything. I didn't need to search for anything. So it felt useless to me at the moment. I mean, I'm, I'm like you know, 14, but he had a timer and we had, I got one hour because they charged by the, by the minute. So he's like, you get 60 minutes and I get to use the internet. But same, same, but we've been doing the yeah. same thing forever. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, I want to ask about your uh, experience with uh, investing or uh, investing money in the right way. Because, you know, for example, I know uh, a man who bought uh, Amazon in the beginning of Amazon company. I don't know how many, how much he has now. A lot, a lot. He's so rich man. And, uh, for example, Gary Vee, uh, mentioned that he bought Twitter Tumblr, Facebook in the beginning when the price was low. Today, this company, billion dollar companies, a lot of money. So can you tell how to find the right way of investing? I mean, like on these startups, uh, because, for example, Clubhouse, when Elon Musk uh, shared about Clubhouse, uh, many people thought this company will cost like 100 billion dollars. But today, nobody knows about Clubhouse. I don't know if it's... Uh, worth your time or not but uh, can you tell how 
to make the right decisions in investing. Yeah, Clubhouse is a great example because there's two things I'll say for investing that that you know it's my my opinion. Not every other investor agrees on this, but one of them is I like to dream about the future. What will the world look like three to ten years from now? I have no idea. Right? Are there robots powered by AI that you know mow our lawns and do everything? Are there flying cars? But like, let's have that dream. And I think everyone should have their own version of the future, realistic, based on you know. Uh, practical evolutions of, of technology that they believe in and have a really strong conviction for that. And then I think you you think about all the dominoes that would need to fall for that future to come true. What are all the things that would need to occur? Because the, the, the futures that we make up, this hypothesis, it's a big, if, it's, it's a multitude of if statements. If this happens, this happens, this happens. Like I'll take the metaverse, for example. The metaverse uh, is not worth investing in if we do not spend ultimately as much time there as we do our iPhones, right? If we do though, if your child today, when it's when 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 they grow up to be a 25-year-old consumer, if they are in the metaverse, as much as we are on our cell phones, the metaverse is absolutely something worth investing in, right? Because because the one thing people don't talk about with a cell phone, because it's gross, is that you know it we we it's the last thing we see before we go to bed. It's the first thing we see when we wake up, because a lot of us it's our alarm clock. But we take it to the bathroom with us. Like that's disgusting, but we all do it, right? And so if you take the metaverse to the bathroom with you, absolutely a place you have to invest in, right? But that's a big if statement, you know? <laughs> and now what are all the things that are going to have to occur? Now, one of the biggest dominoes to occur is someone's going to have to create a really great consumer device that is accessible and accessible is like affordable also. And right now I would say with what Oculus has from Meta um, is what I would call the 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 palm pilot of cell phones right we don't even have the blackberry yet more or less the iphone but one day someone's going to make the iphone of the metaverse and that'll change everything now if that thing never gets made never gets created never gets adopted this is not worth investing in right but i have the conviction that this is coming and that children who are between 10 and 12 now will grow up to be what we call metaverse natives the way we had digital natives and mobile natives and so we'll have this next generation of people who live their life in these virtual environments and then their virtual identities they're actually going to start to value their digital identities more than their physical identities, which is a scary thought. We don't like to think about it. It's uncomfortable, but that's the thing that I would invest towards. And so now I start looking for all the startups that are building around the dominoes I think are important, right? And so Clubhouse is an interesting one because it hits during a unique time, the pandemic, right? We're all stuck at home. We're looking for new, interesting ways to connect. This audio first thing seems really new and compelling. It's a way to do it while you multitask with the other things you're doing in your life. Um, but I would say my second thing, other than predicting what you think the future will be and having conviction around it, the dominoes, is you got to be a user of the product, right? So you have to use Clubhouse. You have to get into it. And you have to ask a bunch of questions. Uh, when I first got into it, yeah, first three weeks, this is amazing. This is wonderful. I wish I would have thought of that idea. This is genius. But then after week four, I'm not using as much anymore. Uh, yeah. the, the content is bland and boring. Elon Musk came on once. He wasn't a user of, of Clubhouse. They invited him. He did one time, one show. And he never came back on again. Um, that's where it's like, okay, it made it very clear to me from day four, where I'm in love with this thing, to week four, it's not a company. It's a product. It's a feature, right? It's something that we learn. LinkedIn can build in a couple of weeks. Twitter can build in a couple of months. Yeah. And then now everyone has this thing, right? The equivalent of stories from Instagram. Um, so that's one where, yeah, if, if you had forced me to make an investment decision within four days of using the product, I would have made a really bad decision. But, that, but it isn't how I invest. Right? I want to put a little bit more time into it. I want to become a user of the product. I want to become fanatical. I want to be all in on Clubhouse until the day I realize I don't like this anymore. And I, I think if I don't like it anymore for these reasons, 
rest of the world might agree with me. And, and you know, turns out that's relatively true. And so it would have been a really bad investment, which yeah, is why yeah. I stayed. No, I, uh, <laughs> once ahead, I, I decided, decided to take away bad habits to take my iPhone in the bathroom and yeah. It's it's boring, guys. It's boring. It's better to wash your hands, you know, <laughs> if you spend time without iPhone. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, uh, yeah. By the way, I tried like Clubhouse, but I found you know when you create content, when you spend time creating content, but if you just uh, I don't know have this meeting, you can share value, but nothing uh, happened after that. You have no recording. You have no content after that. Just uh, one time, that's why I decided to quit Clubhouse. Uh, and yeah, prob probably many content creators dislike this as well. When, you know, for example, we record audio podcast, we, we can have it on uh, Spotify, Google, Apple. Uh, if we film videos on YouTube, we have it. But yeah. if you record on uh, Clubhouse, uh, yeah, you can forget about your uh, time. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing where I, you know, from as a, as you know, someone who spent a lot of time in product management, product development, I just feel like they were making a lot of bad decisions. They took way too long to, to launch the Android app, and they were stubborn about that. They were stubborn about mm -hmm. Android, and they shouldn't have been. And then um, they were. This is one where I don't fault them because they had a conviction with what they believed was the best product, but they were very stubborn that this is a live only experience. And so they refused to build in recorded versions where you could go and listen in later, or if you joined in late, you could catch up. And that is what ultimately killed them because during COVID, we, none of us have anything to do. So we can all tune in live to listen. But after COVID, we go back to normal. We're doing our lives. We're going out to happy hours. We're, we, I can't tune in the, the exact second that you're going to have your show. And the fact that they didn't think to build in things where I could watch, I could listen later. I could um, you know, catch up later. Yeah. Like That is what I believe ultimately killed them. And, and, but I appreciate that their product team had conviction around what they believed was a differentiator, but it was, it was just the wrong call. Yeah, especially when you join a room, you know, when people uh, spend some time by sharing, you have no logical structure, you know, so yeah, many things uh, are not good there. Okay, I'm interested about investing in recession. You know, uh, for example, uh, I often speak with some people who can tell me recession is coming and I get this conversation uh, from 2017, 2018, before COVID, then COVID came and many told, oh, it's recession, uh, but uh, I don't know even today it's recession or not <laughs> because you know uh, I usually check out SP 500. Uh, I check out other stocks. I can see I don't know. The, uh, yeah, they go up down, but it's like uh, stagnation. I don't know. Can you tell how to invest today? Because I have some investors who don't know where to invest, what to do. Because uh, yeah, it's hard to predict what kind of future will be. <laughs> yeah, no, great question. Um, I am fortunate enough that because of how old I am, that I, I get to start investing in 2008. And then I sell my first company in 2012. So I started investing again in 2012, 2013. And I believe that 2008 and 2013 are really great times if specifically you're investing in early stage companies. Um, some of the high growth ones were really big then too. I got really big into FANG stocks in 2008. Um, even though they're down now, like every one of those companies is over 500%, some to 5,000%. Like that's just a, a wild time. I mean, Tesla's the biggest winner in all of those. Um, but um during a recession, and this is this is self-serving because I run an early stage venture fund, the, the adventure fund, it's called a venture.fund. Um, but 
early stage, early stage companies, they're they're traditionally built during bad economic times. And we've just seen this historically. Uh, even if you go way back to the Great Depression, some of the biggest companies that are known today, like State Farm Insurance, come out of that time. Um, so it's a great time for small businesses. It's a great time for early stage startups. So I would say if you're going to invest, you know, it's going to be a little harder to play the markets right now. And you are a playing day trader, I think a little bit. And if you're not great at that task, you shouldn't be playing day trader. Um, but if you're looking to put your money somewhere in a diversification perspective, I mean, I'm always a big fan of real estate, but um, early stage, early because the big, the, the next big billion dollar companies are going to come out of this time period. So, and, and they, you know, they early stage takes about 10 years for some liquidity. So we're talking about by the year 2032, 2033, we're going to be talking about the next crop of your Ubers, your Airbnbs, who all started up that last 10 years ago, around the 2012, 2010 eras, and you know, some of them in the 2008 eras. Mm -hmm. And uh, what about crypto? You know, I opened your LinkedIn profile yeah. and I see company, limited partner, grow fund and crypto fund. So let's talk about crypto. You know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I remember in the first days of uh, Bitcoin, uh, I... I read a lot of from Warren Buffett and, you know, he shared, it's nonsense, don't yeah. do it, crypto has no future. And I listened to him like, I don't remember, uh, many years, many years I listened to him, uh, this advice, but crypto is growing, growing, growing. Then I got it, no way, I can't ignore this trend anymore. Uh, and I still get such... Um, thoughts from other well-known experts. Uh, Bill Gates can tell this. Uh, but uh, I see some people change their minds. For example, uh, uh, Belfort, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, he told that, uh, that crypto uh, will uh, have shiny future. And he changed his mind because he told like Warren Buffett that uh, that's nonsense. What do you think about crypto? How to invest uh, smart? You know, because People uh, can feel that crypto can make them rich uh, overnight. You know, they play with um, uh, day trading. They play um, with many different things. But some crypto going down like uh, crazy, dropped hundred uh, times in a day. So, any insights how how, how to do it smart? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I was gonna say it's that last part you just said. How to do it smart? If what you're looking for is a, a quick fix, an easy win, a slam dunk way to get rich fast, I'm just not, I'm not the person to give you advice because the, the, a few people got lucky, right? It's all luck. Uh, and then uh, some knew what they were doing, the ones who are good at sort of the day trading and others, they just happened to put a bit of money at the right time and then pulled out at the right time and they did really well for themselves. But for the most part, that's not most people. Right. So if you're listening to this conversation, it's most statistically, it's not you. And so if you don't know what you're doing, you're not a day trader. And this isn't what you do for a profession. Like just, just stop, like stop trying to, to, to find the next coin or token or or ICO that's going to make you rich quick. Um, so that aside, when I hear the Warren Buffett conversation early on, same as you, I think two things, you know, obviously Warren Buffett's a really smart person, better than me uh, at investing um, historically. And then, but when he makes when he makes such a strong declaration that, that that's, a, that's two signals. One, I should probably take note and be cautious. But two, I should absolutely go in because that, that was too strong of a conviction, right? Like to stay away, to absolutely get like, like I don't like absolute. So if anyone takes an absolute position, then I need to play both sides. So my in my position then and my position now with with crypto and what we're talking about, I think specifically is cryptocurrencies, um, is 
use it as a diversification mechanism. And I'm a believer that when you're youthful, your portfolio should be a little bit more higher risk because you have a, a longer time to um, come back from the damages of that high risk, which are most likely going to go bad. Um, and then when you get older, that risk should go down. So in the beginning, I'm just going to make up some numbers. 75% of your portfolio should be pretty, pretty high risk. Now, when you get to be in your uh, 40s, I think like to get down to like 35% of my portfolio is high risk. Now, in that, within my high risk, I've got categories. I've got like the ridiculously dumb things, right? Like buying a board ape, like that's just silly, but it's super risky, right? And so a little bit of my high risk, I put into something like that, which is, you know, you can make the argument whether it, it, it's dumb or smart. To me, it's irrelevant because it, it goes in the highest of high risk. But then others like Bitcoin or Ethereum, hey, there's still high risk. There's a lot of volatility there, but I want some of my portfolio in the highest risk things because they're going to have the highest reward. And so I put them in that category, but that's, that's, you know, just a small part of that. That's like 35% of my portfolio. The other stuff I'm going to put into uh, real estate or traditional stocks or the S&P, as you had mentioned earlier. So I think diversification is like the, the most important thing. But to get back to crypto beyond currencies, because I'm not just, a, I'm, I wouldn't put all of your eggs in the one basket in terms of cryptocurrencies and trying to pick the right one or, or, or a portfolio of them. Um, back to angel investing or investing in startups, there's some things that Warren Buffett, uh, it's it's it doesn't matter what his position is or what he believes. They're just inevitabilities, and, and those things are powered um, by blockchain technology. So I'm talking about like the future of smart contracts. I'm talking about the future of zero knowledge proof in terms of how we think about storing and managing um, our data. Uh, these things are seemingly irrefutable like they're just coming and so you know more things will live on chain and so i when i think about investing in crypto i'm thinking about the companies that are powering these things the companies that will um you know think about the future of legal documents or money movement uh, beyond just currency conversations mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh, by the way i help a few clients you know with uh aco uh, for crypto forex binary options uh trading and I found uh, they trade on crypto, but not like many people. For example, if crypto is uh, growing, they don't invest. <laughs> but if it's uh, uh, going down, they invest. So, uh, and um, I spoke with them many times, uh, how they learn, how they analyze. And uh, they, uh, you know, they told me, don't read news. Don't read news because it's a big manipulation. You know, uh, if you take famous resources like Bloomberg, Investing.com, you can get what everyone can get. So, uh, but uh, it's better to analyze more deeply uh, some places where uh, most people ignore. So, uh, yeah, and they usually invest in crypto that uh, uh, dropped a lot. Uh, I don't know how they analyze all of them, but they found crypto that dropped a lot. Then uh, uh, after that, they invest, you know, uh, uh, to get this recovery. So, yeah, I think if you don't know how to do it, it's better not to do it, you know. Yes, or, yes. It, which, which is hard to X. tell somebody when they, you know, just to say somebody young who's got $2,500 and they want to put it all in the one thing. because It just seems um, futile, futile to them. If I say, hey, if you're 2,500, you know, only put 500 into crypto. 
and then put the other mm-hmm. somewhere else. And, you know, buy a few, a uh, little bit of Tesla's fractional shares of Tesla or Nike or some other brand that you love that, you know, will most likely go up over time. It just, it feels hard. You know, you want to just go all in because, because if I tell you, I'm going to turn your 2,500, you're going to put 500 into it. And then, you know, I four X it, which is pretty hard to do. I'm going to four times your money. It's just like, you just didn't get a lot. When everybody wants to be a billionaire or a millionaire, it's like with 2,500. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would need like an impossible thing to occur. So mm-hmm. I get why people do it, but I, I, this is one of those ones where like, get your million dollars, but like, you know, over a longer period, like don't try to squeeze it in over yeah. like the next 18 months. <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay. Let's talk about NFT, you know, uh, crypto. Okay. I can feel crypto like money because I pay crypto. You know, uh, I, I, uh, probably like 10, 15% of all my payments in crypto. So I can feel like it's money, real money, because people accept USDT, Bitcoin. So why not? Uh, I can use it. But what about NFT? You know, uh, it's like pictures, uh, some other digital assets. And uh, uh, even Gary Vee told that uh, most NFT, like 99% will die. So uh, is it a good idea to invest in NFT and what kind of value you can get? Yeah. So again, I'm, this is one where I'm just not going to be the best person to ask. I, I've invested in a few NFTs, some some mm-hmm. blue chip ones. Um, I'm a big believer of like, I, I wouldn't do it as a part of your um, investment portfolio. I would do it uh, where if it returned high value, that was a nice to have. And the real reason you're getting into this NFT um, as an investment asset is because you want to be a part of a community you're really excited about. I think I think that's the in this current climate the better place to go. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of people listening to this who are really big into Web three or crypto are gonna say, "Oh, that's mm-hmm. totally wrong," and like, they've seen a bunch of examples or they themselves have done it. And that's fine and that's great. But like, I'm not talking about these few exceptions. I'm just talking about the mass amount of people who are getting into it blindly or naively, and like they're they're most yeah. likely gonna fumble. They're not gonna have the same success that the person who's really upset with what I'm saying right now uh, had or believes they will have. Um, and so with NFTs, you know, I'm I'm more about like what's what's just a really great community and so the reason i did the ape is like well i mean they were they were they were, they were fun and you know um it did get you into some cool things like you know i got to see uh, snoop dogg and eminem in a private concert in new york city so like that's awesome but um i i was thinking like hey if i get into this community will i be able to get some things in the discord where i can see some early drops I'm like will that be valuable to me and you know could i go pick up some things earlier so i i, I was looking for the value there where the value wasn't really like will the nft the ape itself um, appreciate or not, right? Um, and that's one where it's dangerous because I need I need the floor price of the ape not to go down, and then I need Ethereum not to go down. And in the, in the environment we're now, both go down, and that's that's the worst case scenario. And so that's why, like, mm-hmm. hey, yeah, I'm not upset that you know it's down, you know, 40 percent from when I got in, which is because I wasn't really looking to monetize it in that way. But it, but if it goes up, you know, and I make a double, triple, quadruple my money, I'm just going to be really happy about that. But that's not necessarily why I did it. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Okay, let's talk about mistakes. You know, in my life, I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, I can count all of them. A lot, a lot of mistakes. In 2008, uh, I was bankrupt when uh, the world crisis destroyed my financial company. That was hard because that my first company. I spent so much time and I earned a lot then in one day. Uh, no, not one day. Okay, uh, like two, three months, I lost almost everything, even more. I got like 3,000 average salaries, uh, <laughs> debts uh, that I spent like five years working hard to get them back. Uh, but, you know, 
can you tell common mistakes that people still do by investing and uh, your tips how to find a much better way? Yeah, so I mean, the common mistake that we've just been talking about most of this time is pretending you're a day trader when you're not, trying to game the system, yeah. trying to you know, see that a bunch of people on Reddit are talking about GameStop or Bed Bath & Beyond. You're going to get in and you're going to make it work or you know, Dogecoin when it's early. And, and then I think what's hard is a bunch of people are really upset that I just used those three examples because they're going to go and they're going to pull a bunch of articles of a bunch of people who made a bunch of money. They're going to be like, you're wrong. Right? Like people do it all the time. And there's, there's hundreds of people that made a lot of money on GameStop. So this guy's wrong to say you shouldn't go on Reddit and go you know, buy some stuff. But there's tens of thousands of people who lost money, right? Lost everything, right? So the, the yeah. people that we, this is the inverse of the media where we highlight the successes, right? There's this survivor bias that exists in these stories where it's the people that put in a few thousand and turn into a million. And we, we talk about them because that's, how cool is that? Right? We don't talk about the person who put in $350 and has zero because it's just not an interesting story. Nobody cares about that story, but there's much more of those. So I think yeah, pretending you're a day trader. Um, the other one that I see is uh, they don't diversify. Um, that's a big problem. And then in this current climate, what I see with um, folks younger than myself, I feel like it's a generational shift is um, they there's a feeling that you're deserve because you work hard, you're deserving of some nicer luxury. So um, I see it's very uncommon now, especially here in New York, that people have multiple roommates. Now, when I was coming up right out of undergrad, you'd have like three or four roommates. And sometimes you'd even share a bedroom. I even remember there were people who's like, they would turn their living room into a bedroom just to get more people in to reduce the rent. Yeah. Now, I've got a guy that I work with, he's, he's like 24, and he's spending like $6,000 a month at a condo that he's renting from somebody that's a hotel. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. And you're living luxury and you got this cool doorman, but like absolutely ridiculous way to spend your money. Like you should be investing that money. You should be maxing out your 401k. So I think, and, but and I get it though. Like you work hard. So you think you're deserving of this, you know, vacation or this nicer watch or this nicer car. But the more you make, if, if you're perpetually making more, but you're also spending more, then you're just the infinite, infinitely the same amount of poor. And so you're never really growing your wealth. And I think that's a hard thing for people. There's a lot of people, again, who are listening to this. They're like, no, this dude's wrong. Like, I deserve this. I, you know, who, who's he to tell me what I can and can't have? But I think when you're younger, you know, live cheap, save it all, and then, and then live well when you get older uh, because of the power of compounding, right? Like, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'll do it when I turn 40. It's like too late, right? Like at 40, I've got 20 years of compounding interest on you. Like, like that's just so much money. And if you're going to start saving now, you're just never going to catch me. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, I read a book about financial freedom. And yeah, uh, that was, uh, you know, I got that you need to save even to buy coffee. You know, people can buy coffee for four dollars, you know, then, you know, uh, but for dollars, uh, if you do it every single day, it's like, uh, uh, how much? Uh, $120. It's a lot, you know, good, good money that you can invest so you can save uh, in funding. And um, uh, I think, you know, uh, I spoke with some rich people. They have T-shirt for uh, four, $5, you know, so cheap T-shirt. And they bought this T-shirt, uh, I don't know, with discounts. <laughs> but uh, um, I spoke with uh, a few people, students who... Uh, proud of Gucci, t-shirt Gucci, 
why you need to have this t-shirt i don't know if you have no money why you need to have iphone uh you can have iphone if you film videos if you create content if you earn money but if you don't do it you don't need iphone you you can buy some cheaper you know yeah i was at a conference uh recently for designers uh i started my career as a designer and so i, I still go speak and um there was a bunch of young designers uh, in, in in college and they were talking about some of the hardships and how one of them was that uh they can't afford well student debt came up and i understand but they they can't afford um the latest macbook pro and i'm there wondering why do you need a three thousand dollar laptop like mm -hmm. when I, what i could do anything they can do with a two hundred dollar PC Acer from Walmart and um, uh, uh, in, in Figma. Like I can, I, I don't need a three thousand dollar MacBook. But they, they, there's this idea that you need without the latest machine and the latest software and the latest iPhone. I can't do what the yeah. professionals do. Like that's absolutely ridiculous. There's the idea of the, the hustle or the grind or like the creative spark to like persevere despite all of the obstacles seems to be gone and so that just like infuriated me that their biggest problem was that they can't afford the new and i'm, and I'm looking at his, his, his laptop's like four years old it's like that's a great laptop like that, there's nothing wrong with this laptop like why do you yeah. think you need this really expensive thing but, but there is this perception yeah nice nice Marty, i have the question about your experience uh if you started today from scratch without any experience knowledge skills what will you do today to learn more about investing Oh, to learn about investing. Um, read. I mean, I, I think the people just, they, they want to get in fast and they want to win fast. Um, and I think uh, not having patience is probably the, the fundamental misstep. So yeah. uh, read, see what everyone's saying, understand. Um, you know, I'd, I'd start to, I, I'm not a big believer, unless you're a finance person, that you're really going to understand um, uh, sort of the finances behind the, how a company's doing. I would just more look at the historicals because I think when we look at something like the stock market, history has always repeated itself and it's never failed. So why did it do what it did? Um, and I would start looking at just, just the companies that you like. This is where I always tell my friends who, who ask me how to get started investing. I'm like, just start with the companies that you are um, a customer of. Like, what, what do you, or you're a happy customer of and then you gladly go back, right? Like we talked about the iPhone. I'm a huge Apple customer. Right? I will number one computer I'll buy is an iPhone. The number one phone I'll buy is an so laptop, Mac, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, uh, uh, iPad, iPhone. So I'll buy everything Apple and I'll spend thousands of dollars on it, right? So I should buy Apple stock. And what I should do is I should keep buying Apple stock until the day that changes. So the, so the second that somebody comes out with a phone and I say, oh, maybe I won't get an iPhone. I should sell all my stock, right? Or the second that somebody comes out with a laptop and I say, oh, maybe I won't get a MacBook. I should sell my Apple stock. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Tesla. I think it's, it, it, for anyone that hasn't driven one, it will change your life. It will be hard to ever drive another car again because it's just, it's that good of a product. The day that that's not true, right? Like that is, because people always say that Tesla's, they'll compare it to like Porsche will make some like electronic uh, uh, you know, EV and say, oh, like Porsche's getting into the game. Tesla is not an EV. It's a supercomputer that happens to not use gasoline. It has nothing to do with being an EV. It, it just really is its own beast. It's not even a car. It, it's a supercomputer that can, can move you places. Um, and so when that's not true anymore, when I don't have that same level of excitement, get rid of it. And so I, I saw this with Peloton when people loved Peloton and they really loved it during the pandemic. But then my question was, hey, you're riding it every single day. Let me know as soon as that changes. And they're like, oh, well, Marty, I skipped a day. Okay, cool. 
Let me know when you skip a week. Okay, Marty, I skipped a week. Okay, let me know when you skip a month. Oh, so you're telling me that that, that bike is sitting in your apartment. You haven't used it in a month. Sell, right? get out because it's probably not just you, right? And it turns out that that's true. And then, but again, I feel bad for Peloton for a lot of different reasons, but one, we're bored, we're locked in the house, COVID hit. And then once we could get out, the last thing we wanna do is stay in our house, right? And, that, and that's what Peloton was great at. It was the same with Clubhouse. It was a stay in your house kind of tool. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, awesome, awesome. Marty, it's a big pleasure to get in my show, to learn from you, tell our audience the best way, how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you. Twitter is the best. Uh, uh, so Marty Madrid, just all one word, Marty Madrid. Um, follow me on Twitter. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty active there. So I, I tweet obsessively. I've been on the platform for 16, 17 years now, since 2006. Um, and then I'm pretty responsive too. because I, I engage with folks. I answer questions. Uh, I talk to people. Yeah, I see you are active on LinkedIn as well. So, guys, yeah, you very, wanna... very, very, yeah. It's same thing. It's, it's uh, LinkedIn.com slash N I N slash Marty Madrid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, guys, you can find the links to Marty uh, to Twitter account, to LinkedIn account in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Love it. So valuable. Guys, you need to follow Marty because you can see a lot of value. Okay, love you. See you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.